Now, I'd like us to turn um, uh, to look at Ephesians chapter 6, just for a second, just look at uh, two verses in it. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10 and verse 11. And uh, coming towards the end of uh, these uh, sermons on Ephesians, um, but we will be spending a fair amount of time on uh, these 20 verses uh, from, sorry, these 10 verses from verses 10 to verse 20. But tonight we're looking at the two So Ephesians 6, verse 10, page 1163. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Now, I'd like us uh, to uh, pray for a a few minutes uh, for our country and uh, for... um, the rulers of our country, and also to pray for the churches in this country. So let's now just uh, seek the Lord. Oh, Father God, we come before you thanking you for this refuge, this haven, which is the church of God. Lord, we, we're able to gather together to share the fellowship of Jesus Christ, uh, to learn from him, to share with one another and teach one another, uh, to stir one another up, encourage one another, And indeed, Lord, uh, to strengthen one another in our most holy faith. We thank you, Lord, that that, that churches all all over this country, Lord, are gathered tonight and have been this morning. And we thank you, Father, so much that there are so many thousands of churches where people really believe in Jesus. Lord, where it's not a matter of just ceremony, it's not just a matter of outward show, but where people want to draw near and give thanks to the living God. And Lord, we pray that you will increase this number. Lord, we know there are uh, many uh, people, Lord, that are seeking God and are seeking Christ in churches, but the the ministers, the vicars, the curates themselves don't have a personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And Lord, we pray, have mercy, Lord, upon those churches. Have mercy upon those, those ministers of religion who don't actually have a living knowledge of Christ. And we pray, Lord, there will be many conversions in many churches of different denominations, amongst the clergy, Lord. Uh, We pray for our Roman Catholic friends, our Church of England friends, and indeed our Baptist friends, Lord, uh, where uh, the churches don't believe the Bible, and it's not preached, Lord. We ask you, Lord, please change those churches, Lord. Grant, Lord, there will be a great uh, awakening uh, and conversions in churches themselves. But Lord, we also think of our country as a whole, Lord. And we're aware there are so many tens of millions without Christ and without hope for eternity. And Lord, life goes by so quickly and suddenly people are shuffling off their mortal coils and Lord, all departing into the, into, the, into the unknown. But Lord, we know what it is. We know it's going to be an eternity without you. A day of judgment followed by a, an eternity of darkness and of, of misery. And of despair. Oh Lord, have mercy, Lord, on our country, we pray. And grant, Lord, that those who preach the gospel, Lord, in our days will have amazing fruitfulness from you, Lord. Lord, we ask you, please, deal with us, Lord, who are Christians. Remove the remnants of sinful habits and the remnants of the power of sin in our life. That we may be walking by the Spirit each day. 
putting to death the deeds of the body. Lord, we can't be perfect, Lord, here on earth. It is true, but Lord, we can be much better than we are. And Lord, we pray, I pray, Lord, for greater holiness in our lives. Lord, uh, grant revival, we pray, in Britain. Lord, we also now pray, Lord, for our country and its welfare. Lord, uh, you told the Israelites to pray for the welfare of their country when they were in Babylon. And uh, Lord, uh, we would pray for the welfare of our country, Lord, in the light of, of perils that face us. Lord, there is the possibility of war, even world war, and even us, particularly Britain, being targeted by our enemies. Lord, again we acknowledge we do not deserve anything less. Lord, as a country, we have failed you, rebelled against you, disobeyed your word, implemented evil laws, uh, have, uh, Lord, as a country, lived immoral, self-centered, godless, materialistic lives. Lord, we acknowledge this, and And like Isaiah, Lord, we say, Lord, we're people of unclean lives, unclean lips. And we belong to a nation like that. But Lord, we pray, oh God, that you might have mercy. And Lord, grant that you will continue to show the grace you've shown to this country in the past. Deliver us, Lord, from um, the horrors of war. Deliver us, Lord, indeed from, from famine and from uh, from economic woes, uh, from all of the problems that could happen if war does happen. We pray this for our country, Lord. We pray, Lord, you'll give wisdom to the leaders in Parliament, the MPs, and grant, Lord, them in these days maturity of judgment, seriousness, intelligence in their decisions that they're making. We pray this for, for MPs of all parties. And we pray, Lord, uh, for both Keir Starmer and for... Um, Rishi Sunak, that they will be given wisdom and given a a, a right, uh, Lord, guidance by you. Uh, Even though they don't know you, they will be guided by you into right decisions uh, in in these difficult times. Uh, But Lord, we do indeed uh, thank you and praise you for all of your gifts to us and uh, the the very lovely lives that you've given each one of us. Lord, uh, uh, we aren't millionaires, but we are, Lord, spiritually millionaires lord Uh, we we don't have palaces that we live in but lord we do live lord in a wonderful palace of the kingdom of heaven and we have this wonderful dwelling place with jesus in our lives as we were reminded this morning for that we thank you lord and uh, we pray now lord you'll open your word to us and encourage us in Jesus' name amen Okay, well, I'd like to now turn to the passage um, that I read from Ephesians chapter, Ephesians chapter uh, 6, just those two verses. And just want to note this, uh, uh, Nathaniel mentioned the climate crisis this morning. I, I want to notice something, uh, Arlene told me that uh, she heard on the radio this morning that uh, someone was saying the climate crisis is leading to a person dying every five seconds, 12 a minute. Now, I mean, that is... It, I don't. I think it's probably a dodgy statistic, but it is. There are people dying, uh, not necessarily from heat. There are people dying from cold. Um, and actually, when we when you look at the statistics, it's easy to look Google it. I did it this afternoon. There's 178,000 people dying every day all over the world from illness, old age, war, famine, disease. 
That's 120 people every minute that is dying. 65 million people, that's the equivalent of Britain. 65 million people die each year in the world. Now, uh, many of those deaths are, are tragic short deaths, but actually many of them are people that live 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80, 90 years. There's a tremendous war going on and struggle going on in this world to rescue these people, not from physical death. Doctors are involved in that, that struggle and do a wonderful job to try to rescue people from, uh, from disease. But there's a tremendous struggle going on to rescue the 65 million people dying in the world every year from everlasting hell. God has left Christians on earth not so that one day we'll be raptured and say, oh, bye-bye, we'll leave you to suffer. <laughs> that is not what the Bible says. The Bible doesn't say we're going to be raptured and leave behind the people on the earth uh, as non-Christians to suffer great tribulations and distress. Not at all. Christ left us in this world to suffer with this world, in this evil world, in order to save the world. And by the way, the great tribulation that's mentioned in Revelation is nothing compared to the enormity and horror of eternal fire that awaits those that without Christ. And of those 65 million people a year that die, so many of them are departing forever. Their eternity is, is sealed. Their eternal destination is sealed. Now Jesus has left us in this world to struggle, yes, to wrestle, and as this passage talks about, to be involved in a titanic battle. But he's left us in this world for that reason, to rescue people. This is um, Paul's final instruction um, uh, to the Ephesians. I just want to point out that um, the whole of Paul's letter has been encouraging the Ephesians to put on God's strength. Uh, just one verse, Ephesians 1 verse 19. He, he, he's praying that they may know the surpassing greatness of his power towards us who believe these are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might. And throughout Ephesians, Paul is referring to this power through prayer and through other, other things. Paul is, is now showing, is now crystallizing, making quite clear why the need for strength is so urgent. And our desire for strength from God should be so fervent, not a passive Oh yeah, it'd be nice to be a strong Christian. But a desperation, Lord, I'm so weak. Lord, please give me strength. Paul's exhortations in, uh, in verses 10 to 20 uh, give us the context for the, the previous five chapters of Ephesians, of, of his call to holiness in, in practical living, of his call um, to prayer, of his call to holiness. They're in the context of a violent, unseen battle against superhuman enemies in which we require the intervention and empowering of supernatural strength in our inner being. So when Paul says, be strong, he's, 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 he's not just saying, you know, just, oh, be strong, love. You know. <laughs> he's talking to people about a command You've got to be strong in the Lord and in the strength of the power of his might because you are a target against a vicious and powerful spiritual enemy. We have a crucial need for strength. 
we need, we need to, to, to find that source of that divine power and we need to deploy this strength. Now, I've mentioned, I've said, it, this is Paul's final instruction. Um, he says, I mean, there's the, one, there's the word, if, you, if you're looking at on page 1163, it says, finally. Now, the word is a Greek, simple Greek word. It, it means, it's, uh, as for the rest, or it remains. Um, it, it, the root idea, which is, is in, the, in the Greek word, is something's left over, finally. But this isn't leftovers of a, of, a, of a dinner, you know, that you kind of nibble at. What we have here is a banquet of spiritual ideas that actually could take you, you know, years to get through. There's a book, actually, I've got in my library, uh, my own library, uh, um, A Christian in Complete Armour by William Gurnall. It's a fantastic book written in Old English, Shakespearean English. But it's, it's thousands, over a thousand pages long, based on Ephesians 6. And it's a wonderful read, if you, if you can be patient with the Old English. And why? You know, why do I say this? Well, there's so much in this passage. Vital, absolutely vital truths. And when Paul is saying finally, he, he basically is saying, look, this is the final instruction I've got to give you. This is the most important. I've left this to the end because this is crucial. Absolutely powerful. How are we to survive, be strong, and conquer in the tremendous spiritual battle we're faced with? Now, I'm going to reiterate the point I made five minutes ago. We are in the struggle against principalities and powers, against the devil, because Christ has chosen this to happen. We get saved and we stay alive. He could have, it could be immediately we become a Christian, we just died and went to be with him. Some, some believers have died very soon after they've been saved, or very young Christians. And it happens. And it's not a tragedy. Oh, it's tragedy, a young death. No, there's no tragedy for a Christian. It is tragic for the people that are left behind. It's a heartbreak. But for the, the Christian who's gone to be with the Lord, that's no tragedy. That is a triumph. And we see that um, Christ has left us here to fulfill his last instructions. You see, Paul had a finally. Jesus also had a finally to his teaching. What were his finally? Well, take a, a, an example from Luke um, and Acts and, Ma- and, and Matthew's Gospel. Each, each document records Jesus' finally. What does he say? His final words. Luke twenty four forty seven: Repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. Witnesses of what? Salvation from hell. Eternal life. Forgiveness. Abundant life. Joy and peace in the Holy Spirit. Um, Acts chapter 1 verse 8. Before Jesus leaves uh, the earth, in Acts 1 verse 8, Jesus says, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Those were Jesus' instructions. That's why he left Christians on earth. That's why we're on earth today. We 
are still fulfilling that. We might not be moving to the ends of the earth in the sense of getting on a train, catching a, a plane and going to another country. But insofar as Christians are spread all over the earth now, as we spread the gospel now, as we save people from hell, and I use that word in the way Paul said it because he said, I do all things possible to save some. Obviously it's only God that really saves. But on the other hand, we are to bend our lives, manipulate make our timetables uh, uh, work so that we can have a chance at all all times, at all purposes, to try to save some. Some people like me, retired, got more time. Some of you, like doctors, um, other people in highly stressed jobs, only have a small bit of time to do it. But all of those bits and pieces of time, seeking, praying, is all part of the finally that Jesus gave us. As indeed, Jesus, his, his words are also um, um, uh, on another occasion, just before his ascension in Matthew, the end of, end of Matthew, it's, it, Jesus said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Jesus being a bit more, um, a bit more specific about how people are saved, they are saved to become disciples, followers. Following the teaching of Jesus. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son of the Holy Spirit. Now I would like to say, anybody watching online, listening online, you may be a disciple, but you haven't yet been baptized. Please think seriously about it. um, About being baptized. Because that's what Jesus said we were to do. And indeed, if you wish to get your friends becoming Christians, they will get baptized too. So, you know, if if, um, you... You feel, you know, you would like to be baptized. Come and, you know, see um, myself, Henry, uh, any of the deacons. And just pass it, pass it on and we'll have a chat. And, and indeed, uh, if you love the Lord, if you, have, if you trust him, we'll baptize you like a flash. Um, and uh, then this will be fulfilled. Teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. Okay, so that's part of the finally. We are living in a dying world and we need to be ready for the attacks of Satan who wishes to stop us from fulfilling that destiny, that task that Jesus has given us. But I want us to notice this. Paul is talking in the plural to the whole of the Ephesian congregation. You see, this isn't a solo battle. Um, You may be familiar with the, 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 uh, the Lord of the Rings and uh, in, the, in the battles in the Lords of the Rings you've got kind of like the bother boys, the orcs you know, very ugly looking creatures slinging their battle axes and throwing their spears and generally you know, looking obnoxious and being obnoxious but actually the people fighting against them are also kind of like they're you know, doing their arrows and picking up their swords and everything like that. And they're like solo gladiators all fighting their individual little battles. When Paul was uh, talking to the Ephesians, he modelled soldiers not upon that rabble that you see on both sides in uh, the Lord of the Rings, but actually um, on the Roman legions. And he's careful. I mean, it's quite clear. He's modelling Christianity and our battle upon specific habits and techniques of the Roman legions. Um, So, a single legionary sword slinger, not a gunslinger, a sword slinger, it was a contradiction in terms. That's not what legionaries did. 
And it's, it's the same for a Christian. There is no such thing as a solo Christian. Sometimes missionaries may, by the nature of the case, be sent out and be alone for various reasons. But behind that single missionary, there is a hidden iceberg of Christians praying for him. The church that sent him out, or it should be. Christians belong to a body of spiritual soldiers, and disasters happen if we try to fight alone. Occasionally, as I've said, Christians may be isolated and without a Christian fellowship, but that's an anomaly, and we should, if we're in that position, wherever we are, we should seek to correct it and get into a fellowship. Um, single soldiers left behind enemy lines are in a perilous position and don't have much of a future. The Roman legions together were almost unstoppable. unstoppable. Uh, if you know anything about the history of the Second World War, you know that actually the war started when uh, Germany invaded um, Poland and the German panzer tanks had to face thousands of soldiers on horseback. It was a slaughter. The po- Polish army was not mechanized. They were on, they were on horseback, charging against machine guns Inside tanks, You're hopeless, I mean, wonderfully brave men, but hopelessly ill-equipped by their generals and hopelessly ordered into a hopeless battle against panzer tanks. Now, that was the same kind of battle that the ancient Britons had when they were fighting the Romans. The ancient Britons fought like, you know, great heroes with their battle axes and, oh, yeah, we're going to get them. And they faced... A solid wall of shields. Romans battled in a uh, almost a, robo- a robotic way. They had the. Uh, in fact, if you see my uh, little illustration that, the, that I've, I've put onto the um, onto the front of my um, uh, title page on, online, uh, can't find it here. Basically, you've got this row of of, 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 of shields, shields as, as tall as a man with their spears sticking out, and of course they had their short swords. Now when they went forward, it was a killing machine. Um, it was a, a very robotic killing machine. As, as uh, the, the, uh, all of the guys charged in with their, throwing their axes, throwing their spears, the Romans just went forward, stabbing, stabbing, treading on the dead, stabbing, stabbing, treading on the dead. And against an undisciplined force, they were, com- they were completely victorious. An example was the Battle of Mons Gropius. Now, I can remember studying this when I did A-level Roman history, which is 50-odd years ago, 53 years ago, to be precise. Um, and I can remember this. I, I always remember this amazing statistic that um, the, the Romans faced... 30, there were 11,000 Romans, 30,000 Caledonians. This was up in Scotland. 30,000 against 11,000. At the end of the battle, it didn't, didn't last that long, 10,000 Caledonians were dead and only 360 Roman soldiers, legionaries, were dead. 10,000 deaths against 360. It wasn't, it wasn't fair. You, know, you could say it wasn't, just wasn't fair. And that was an outstanding battle. Uh, some people think it may have been slightly exaggerated, but I, don't think, I personally actually don't think it was exaggerated, those figures. There would be no reason... Uh, to exaggerate the small number of Roman casualties, and that they would be easily, they would have been easily um, contradicted. The actual Roman casualties, and it's the Roman casualties that are so small. Why? They attacked 
They were a unit together. Now, actually, look, this is exactly the same with Christians. If we don't become vital uh, members of our churches, involved in the worship and in the prayer and in the service together, then I'm afraid we will be casualties. Um, we won't lose our salvation, but we won't really uh, be, be victorious and be involved in, in, uh, in, in success against uh, Satan. Now, as I've said, we, in, in future weeks we're going to be looking at actual details of the Roman leadery armor, armor that Paul, uh, Paul points out. At. But I just want to point this, that the legionaries as a whole, they looked after one another. Uh, they carried almost a, a, a town in their, in their backpacks. They literally, when they moved the legion, they would, uh, they would, uh, they would build uh, barricades. They would build a, a li- their own little town, their own little village. They'd have a hospital, a field hospital. They'd have their, 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 their cooked meals. They'd have um, all, all kinds of tents and stuff were erected by various people. All the legionaries, once they got um, you know, in, uh, into, into the camp, in, uh, behind the barricades, they all had their different jobs. Some were involved in hygiene, some cooking, some um, organizational stuff, and, and so on. Um, they all worked together for a successful legion. Now, this is what a church is. We're meant to be a church of people that all of us are doing different things. Some have practical jobs, some have teaching jobs, some... Some uh, do organization jobs. Some have more time to spend to visit the sick or to visit the elderly or to do various things. That's what a church is meant to be. It's not meant to be just two solo uh, bother boys like me and Henry. Oh, yeah, let's go out and do, you know, do our thing. We're meant to be part of an army of workers, worshippers, prayers. And, uh, okay, we're a small unit of the SAS because <laughs> we aren't exactly an army in Poplar Baptist Church. But the thing is, that is the picture. Now, I want to also point out that being a soldier of the Lord means being a worshipper. In that passage, we saw that the worship was so important before battle for Jehoshaphat. And I actually do believe this for us as believers. If we are not worshipping people, then we're not loving people. If we're not loving people, then actually the service we do is precisely worth, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, nothing. If I give my body to be burned but have not love, it profits me nothing. If I speak with the tongue of men and angels, if I go out into Stratford and do my preaching and I don't have love, it's worth nothing, zero. And one of the ways in which we um, have more love is, and it does sell beautifully in what Nathaniel was talking about this morning, is as we gather together and we worship the Lord. That's why uh, coming to church on the Lord's Day is so important. Sunday is the Lord's Day. It's love day for the Lord. That's the time when we've really got the time to, you know, just detach ourselves from the world for a bit, for a few hours, and to increase our love for him as we meet with him uh, in our meetings, but also in our private homes and in our private rooms. Now, uh, just uh, to finish with a few points, which is this. I've made the point so far that uh, it's a really serious battle that we're involved in and it's not a solo battle. Uh, but we see that Paul says, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Now, firstly, when people are, are, are training to, for the World Cup, being a heavyweight champion, what do they do? They go into, into training and they are in peak condition. 
The boxer who weakens himself by poor nutrition, poor habits of life, poor sleep, too much drink, too much partying, they're weakening themselves for the contest. Now when Paul says, be strong in the Lord, there's an entailment to that. Don't weaken yourself. If you're going to be strong in the Lord, you're not going to weaken yourself. Look at yourself. Look at myself. Am I weakening myself? Is there too much screen time in my life? Whether it be a, a computer screen, a TV screen, uh, uh, or, a, or a, a mobile telephone screen. Too much screen time, but not, not enough prayer time. Too little fellowship. Too little private prayer and private waiting upon God. Too much being casual about sin in our lives, rather than really seeking the Lord to make us holy. Let's not weaken ourselves. And, and we need this strength and power for, Christian, for our Christian life and our Christian holiness. I've mentioned evangelism, but actually part of our evangelism is being holy, loving people. And if we're not holy and loving, our evangelism, as I said, is pretty worthless. Um, this great writer, William Gurnall, said this when commenting on this verse. Notice it says in Joshua 1 verse 7, Observe to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded thee. Now, he says, it requires more prowess and greatness of spirit to obey God faithfully than to command an army. It takes more greatness of spirit to be a Christian than a captain or a general in the army. And we need to to take seriously our own personal Christian life and our own personal holiness. And we need to be strong. Now notice, the operative word is be strong in the Lord. Now I mentioned already earlier about the power of positive thinking. I didn't name it, but it's a book that was written in 1952. It was at the New York Times bestseller list for 186 weeks. It sold 5 million copies altogether worldwide and was translated into 40 different languages. And that book has been the inspiration for hundreds of snake oil salesmen, motivational speakers and religious hucksters uh, ever since, the last 60 years or so. All of them who are usually after your money, whatever sort they are, even the motivational speakers. But the book provides case histories of positive thinking using Bible tags, because the guy who wrote it was a Christian minister. And he wanted his readers to have a permanently optimistic attitude to life and what I can do. And the techniques involved are things that you, 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 I'm sure you're familiar with, especially if you know anything about sport. Affirmations. I can do this. Visualizations. I can see myself doing this. And he claimed that it would give readers uh, a, a higher satisfaction and a quality of life. Be strong. Believe in yourself. And you will succeed. Visualize yourself as an overcomer, both in the Christian life, or but that matter, um, in your job. You can be a top manager. There's nothing to stop you. Just believe in it and it'll happen. But I want us to notice this. Paul doesn't say, believe in yourself. He says, no, don't just say, be strong. You are strong. You, you just use those reserves. Of strength. No, he says, be strong in the Lord. And in the strength of his might. Now, interestingly enough, psychiatrists uh, were quite clear at an early stage um, of the um, detrimental effect of Norman Peale's idea. In 1955, three months after the book was written, a prominent psychiatrist said this Actually, uh, this message is very similar to hypnosis. And he said, Mr. Peale 
seems to think that self-knowledge about yourself, I'm weak, nasty, selfish. He seems to think that that self-knowledge is completely and utterly bad. You mustn't think about bad things about yourself. You must hypnotize yourself thinking, I'm good, I'm strong, I'm powerful, I'm a good person. Now, look, we know that there are some unfortunate people that are Christians that are hopelessly bound up with negative thinking about life. And they're, they're constantly looking on the dark side and, and so on. And they, what they need is biblical teaching. They need to learn to feel good, not about themselves, but about Jesus. If we feel good about God and Jesus, we ain't going to be negative. When a real Christian understands that outside of Christ, we're bad, weak, powerless, and we'll be pulled down by a vortex of darkness if we actually, if we were to fall away from Christ, that's a good thing. Because then that Christian starts to depend upon Jesus, who has all the goodness and strength and power that we need. And we will have a can-do attitude, as Paul says. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Not I can do all things because I'm, I'm strong, but I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Uh, a, year, a few years later, Albert Ellis, another influential psychiatrist, said that the, the kind of techniques of self-affirmation Hypnotic techniques could lead to significant mental health problems. And eventually, it all boomerangs because, you know, not everybody does become a millionaire. <laughs> not everybody does succeed. Not everybody can become the Prime Minister of Great Britain. <laughs> and it leads to failure and disillusionment. Whereas those, this is my thing, not, not the psychiatrist's, whereas those who look to Jesus will only ever be satisfied and happy because Jesus is full of that love and joy and power and strength that we need to take us through the hard things in life. So what Paul is saying is, don't look to strengthen yourself. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his mighty power. We can be strong in the Lord because the Holy Spirit is available to us at all times. We're told that. Lord said, if you're, if, if you're persecuted and you're, you're on the spot and you're told to give an account for yourself, don't worry. Don't worry about on that, on that time that you will be given the words. God can change things and situations through prayer. God has converting power, healing power for our inner sins, transforming power. That wonderful uh, hymn we sang this morning from Charles Wesley about, about how wonderful it is when you know, suddenly the, uh, the dungeon flames with light. And, and we, we, our chains fall off and our heart is free and we rise and, and we follow him. And uh, love divine or love's excelling too about knowing it. So um, we need to grow in that strength. Uh, it isn't a one-off, one-off thing. I mean, uh, there, there's a kind of a little paradox. Paul expresses it here. Also, John does in his letter. That we are in the vict- on the victory side... But also, it's a, growing, it's a growing strength, and we, we, we are actually growing in that power. Um, we are victors because Christ has won the victory, and we have these individual battles in our lives. When we first become Christians, the first time we talk to someone and say, I'm a Christian, or, or the first time we give up a bad habit, we have these little victories we have, and then, of course, we also have some failures, and maybe many failures, 
But then the Lord helps us to confess our sins. And he's faithful and just and will forgive us our sins. And we're strengthened and we're able to go on. And then we're victorious once more. But we, we, we're not reaching the point of complete victory until, until glory. But look, if we take the picture of a Roman soldier. Imagine you were a Roman soldier at Mons Graupius, And there's 10,000 Roman soldiers. And then you look on the horizon. There's 30,000 enemies. And there's 10,000 of you. Now imagine you were a Roman soldier who saw the 30,000 Scots and said, Yep, I'm off! <laughs> and then run because of the enemies. Now, you're actually on the victory side. The Roman soldier, the Roman army was unconquerable. He had his own fight to do. He might be one of those 365 casualties. But actually, the point is, he's on the victory side. What a, how ashamed we would be if we ran off, if we deserted our heavenly king because of the enemies uh, that, that uh, are before us. That's why Paul says, look, you're going to have to look up one day and see a mighty, mighty enemy looking at you. You might even feel you're looking the devil in the face. And at that point, you have to be wearing the full armor of God and stand your ground. Don't go, yay, and run. Stand your ground. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of all his mighty power. Uh, and of course, in the uh, coming sermons, I'm going to be looking at this complete armor of God because the power of God is found through the work of the Holy Spirit, through means. He gives us faith and the truth and all of these other equipment to bring his power to bear in our lives, to change us, to make us holy, and to make us victorious, and to make us effective. So, let us be aware that this is the great, and strength, uh, the great strength that's being offered, but I finish by saying this. Paul says, Put on the whole armor of God that you may, able to, may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil and we have, indeed, great powers of evil arrayed against us. Paul goes on to talk about this host of wickedness in the heavenly places. But he starts by referring not to the power of the devil, but the intelligence, the methods, the wit of the devil. He knows all of, this, all of the tricks. He knows all of the ways to destable us, trip us up, throw us, lead us astray. He knows all about our temperament and about the way, the avenues by which he can bring us down. And therefore, we need to be strong in the strength of the Lord and in his mighty power. And we need to put on that full armor. Firstly, because of his intelligence. Because God has given his, has, has used his wisdom to counter that intelligence. To make it possible for us to stand. That, that the armor of God has been crafted from eternity for us in this battle upon earth to enable us to be victorious soldiers. May the Lord um, help us uh, this week to be strong in the Lord. And uh, as I said in, in uh, coming uh, Sunday evenings to, to learn more about the ways, the way of God's wit and intelligence that he has, uh, he has crafted, the ways that he's crafted uh, to make us strong in, in the Lord.